you know, we're in the process of trying to make lemonade out of lemons, yeah, right? Like, right. it is true that being in actual community is better than being on Zoom, right? So all of the things that you hear both of us saying, you know, like, yeah, look at what we're learning about, look, yeah. like, this is awful, right? And, and, and I can't wait for it to be over. I'm Rabbi Deborah Waxman, and I'm so happy to welcome you to Hashi Venu, a podcast about Jewish teachings on resilience. My guest today is my friend and my colleague, Rabbi Shira Stutman. Shira is the senior rabbi at Sixth and I Historic Synagogue in Washington, D.C., and she's just an extraordinary person and an extraordinary rabbi. Welcome, Shira. Um, thank you. The feelings are very mutual, Deborah. I'm really, really happy to be here. I want to name for our listeners that we're discussing um, resilience and Judaism and life uh, right before Passover 2020, right before Passover 5780, which is a pretty unprecedented moment, I think, for you and me and the larger world. Um, we're uh, both uh, at home practicing social isolation and spending most of our time at home. And to quote you back to yourself, uh, as we were preparing for this, you said, we're sitting in the unknown right now. And I just, I want to name that time for our listeners as I welcome you to this conversation. Yeah, for sure. There's, it feels like, I mean, you know, it feels like there's just so much that we don't know from what day we're going to come out of this to how we're going to come out of this, to how our organizations or our family systems are going to look like, you know, what they're going to look like when we come out of this. It just feels like, there are very, very, very few things that we know, except for like this moment. Right. It's a, it is a real invitation to be in the now and to be in the present because anything else, it's just, it's just you, we just, we, we have no information and it's so easy to spin out into really um, unconstructive scenarios. And so I just, again and again, I just keep trying to bring myself back to my breath, back to my breath of, okay, this is, this is where I am right now. How am I doing right now? <laughs> yeah. This, um, right before Shabbat this week, last week, I, I was teaching a Zoom class for my cousins. There are like six cousins on the Zoom class. And I would just like pulled something out of my archive and it was, it was on the concept of shleimut and what does it mean to be shalem? And it was going back to this... So shleimut is about like wholeness. What does it mean to be complete or whole? That's exactly right, right. And it comes to the word shalom, which we think of as meaning hello and goodbye and like peace, but it actually comes from this idea of feeling whole. And so the question that we were discussing is what does it mean to feel whole? And we were going back to this moment in Genesis when our forefather Jacob was um, was arriving in, in, in Shechem from Padan Aram and he was in this like really in between time where he had been kicked out of his own um, home. His brother wanted to kill him. You know, his, he had left everything he knew to go to a place. He had wrestled with an angel. And like, but he was in this one moment that the biblical text called Shalem and the rabbis were trying to figure out what is Shalem? What does it mean to be whole? Mm -hmm. And what one of the rabbinic answers was, I, I'll find it in my notes after I finished talking. They said, what it means to be whole is to acknowledge that bad things have happened in the past and bad things are going to happen in the future. But in this moment, this one moment, you have a moment of peace, right? A moment right. of wholeness. And at that, and to me, that was just so, it like blew my mind. Like, because I think of Shalom as so much bigger, right? I think mm -hmm. of Shalom mm -hmm. is so much bigger. I think of wholeness is so much bigger. But it doesn't have to be everything and all encapsulating. It can be just this minute. It can be just this second. 
that is a second of peace, a second of wholeness, even though we know more is going to come and more and, and things have happened in the past, but like we have the now. What I love about that also is because like with social isolation, like you and I both live big lives, you know, like I travel all over the world. I was, I was, you know, I was nonstop before I had to retreat into my house and, and you um, at six and I have world leaders and internationally renowned authors coming through. We live these big lives and now it's um, our world in a certain way has contracted. So I, I think that that kind of mirrors um, it mirrors what we're enacting, what we're living out as well. Yeah. Um, so Sixth and I are our team. Sixth and I, for those who don't know, has both like a, a it's a spiritual center. I, I always tell people, I think Mordecai Kaplan would be proud if, you know, may, may his memory be for a blessing, but it's like a spiritual center of sorts, but it has secular arts and culture programming and specifically Jewish programming. So we wanted to come up with a vision statement. Like if when we look back on this time, we're proud, why would we be proud? So the vision statement that we came up with, we decided that like, this was Dafka. This was precisely not the time for Sixth and I to go national or international, even as like, you know, Zoom has reached anywhere. As you were just saying, Deborah, like for us, like we decided to go smaller. This is our time to really take better care of the people in our specific area that we don't need to, I mean, anyone can come who wants to participate in our programming, of course, but like there is a way that this is going to help us go smaller, right? That's why that poem from the Unitarian minister got such traction about like, imagine this time as a Sabbath, mm -hmm. as a time of like mm -hmm. stepping back and going smaller. And I've already, I've already, I've already learned from that one piece um, enough to take me, I mean, I'm ready to go back out now, but, right. but you right. know, knowing that's not going to happen, it's really going to hold me, um, hold me steady for a long time. We'll post for listeners uh, a link to the beautiful poem that says, let's learn from the Jews on their Shabbat. This is an opportunity for, for pause, for rest, for renewal. We'll post that. And you'll see, I, I think, I hope that everybody's listening, that this is what it's like whenever Sharon and I are together is we just dive right into <laughs> whatever it is we're talking about in the richest possible way. It's one of the things I, I love the most. So you just explained a little bit about what Sixth and I um, has been is um, this this historic. I mean, it's it's such a great story that it was it was a thriving synagogue and then it was not. It was uh, it was quite bereft and then uh, renewed with this with the vision that you just laid with the function um, and the and the programming that you just laid out and now and now uh, when when none of us are going into gatherings. I mean, this is I think that this is such a a weird and interesting and challenging time for those of us who find great wisdom in in convening, in gathering people together from the Jewish mandate, from that call for you know connection with other humanity. To me, that's my go-to um, strategy: come together, be with other people lean on other people, learn from other people, offer your support, open yourself up to transformation in connection with other people. And, and that's, um, that's just simply the wrong thing to do at this moment in time. And it really is requiring such a rejiggering. I mean, and I'm totally, I'm, I'm so with you on this, Deborah, like even our conversion students, like in addition to taking our conversion class and meeting with their supervising rabbi, they're required to do what we call three Jewish events a month three times a month, in addition to their weekly class and their meeting with the rabbi, they have to be out in the community because I, like you, believe that community, like community is what makes Judaism um, vibrant and evolving, like that we are just like out in this way. And so 
this has required a whole new understanding of what community is. And, and there have already been like a lot of, uh, there's been a lot of learning, you know, about ways community can form. We predominantly use Zoom and, and you know, um, there are some of the functions of Zoom that really, really help you sort of build community even virtually, right? Like the breakout session, but I call it the Chavruta function, but I know that's not what they call it. Call it <laughs> so that, that like the learning diet, that it's a traditional Jewish learning diet where you're one-on-one or in a small group with people. It's great. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> and the other thing that I think has been like really a beautiful about Zoom for those who use it, and I'm sure it's true on the other platforms as well, is the chat function. Like I was joking last week with some, I forget who I was talking to, but like, this is the contemporary Talmud. Like one day if we print out Mm -hmm. all of the chats so that, and it's like, so when you're leading services and you see people chatting in the chat box, that's of course what happens when you're leading services anyway, everyone's chatting. Mm And so there's just something, there's a lot of like community building beauty that actually can happen. Um, It just has to happen differently. And like, it's just, you're, you're not, you know, you're not touching each other literally as much. So we just have to work twice as hard to figure out how to touch each other in other sorts of ways. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that we do every time I lead something on zoom, I begin by begging people to turn on their video camera, mm-hmm. you know, cause like, I just feel like, and we're going to start with our smaller classes, some of our smaller classes that we're going to limit to like 30 or 40 people. We're going to say, you're only allowed to do it if you have video function. Oh, wow. I mean, if you have no video function for equity reasons, of course you're welcome in. But if you're someone who just has like, as having a bad hair day, or yeah. more likely it's that you actually want to like do two things at once, like, this, we don't want you for this. We really, right. right. So there are all these things that are, are starting to happen differently as we build community in this sort of way. You know, it's interesting. I'm noticing something uh, really interesting in myself. Um, you know, one of the things I love about Hashidenu, about this podcast is, Ordinarily, uh, we recorded in this lovely little studio that we've created at Reconstructing Judaism in suburban Philadelphia. And for me, that like that studio space is like a cocoon, and I just stop thinking about anything else and, and give my attention fully to this conversation. And there isn't that much in my day that is like that. I mean, I have a lot of meetings, but they're not they're they're often like tactical meetings or planning meetings. Uh, the, the meaning making often happens either when I'm leading ritual or when I'm writing on my own. And so, um, so when I'm on Zoom for, for some of those meetings with people from all over the country, the impulse to multitask is so strong and to, to check the email or, or something like that. I will say that one thing about working from home and living most of working most of my time on Zoom is I'm noticing a a quieting for myself and a stillness and a much greater capacity, even when it's not this kind of qualitative conversation, when it is more of the, the work a day business that I, I have much, I'm, I'm much less interested in multitasking and I, I'm slowing down in a way that I think is very good for my body and for my spirit. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think that, um, I have been surprised to find, uh, working, on Zoom more um, exhausting than I thought it would be. Yeah, I think that's right. And so it's sort of forcing me to slow down in ways unanticipated. Like it's, you know, I'm, I'm actually, I'm not a great sleeper, but I've been sleeping many hours a night, like I'm exhausted. So I do feel like th- this is one of the surprises for me. You know, you're in these sort of one-on-one or like five on, you know, five different people having conversation at once. Number one, you really do have to focus <laughs> more. Yeah. And you just don't have a lot of stuff happening in your peripheral vision in the same way as you do when you're sort of in a regular office. The other stuff is, the other piece that's like, 
you have the intimacy of like seeing into other people's homes. Yeah. Right? Like, right now, like I'm looking into Sam's home. I'm looking into your home. You can see into my home. I actually have moved my desk um, so that people can see. Before I was just facing like a window. So like you couldn't, there was a, so I moved my desk so people can see more of what I'm proud of in my home. And when I leave services, I have a special chair. Um, you know, before we started recording this, we were talking about seeing everyone's pets. You know, I work mostly with people in their 20s and 30s. And for many of whom the pets are like their most important, like loved one in their home. And so all of this is like a increased concentration because there's an increased intimacy, you know, mm-hmm. you can, and, 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 and so I think that could be deeply meaningful as we're trying to sort of counteract some of the, some of the obvious challenges of like, of this virtual life that we're living. I think that's right. And I heard this wonderful story yesterday about, um, Hebrew school teachers, like how do you do Hebrew school online and really taking advantage of being in homes so that there's what a teacher was saying. I can't remember that name was something like, go get it. Like, or do you have, and she'll say like, well, in your house, do you have a kiddish cup? Three minutes. And then the kids run and they get the kiddish cup and they bring it and they show their kiddish cup and then they put it down and say, okay, do you have a prayer book? You know? And so it's this way for them to it's a show and tell, but like, uh, draw, like drawing on the resources of the home and, um, yeah. you know, so sweet. And, and so, uh, you know, you could bring one of those things into class, but here everybody can do it and the kids are up and moving. And so yeah. I think, by the way, um, we're going to be, this is probably going to go live after Passover, but the funny thing about, about Passover in this moment is that, you know, I've been getting calls from journalists who are like, we want to talk about Ramadan and Passover and Easter. And I say to them, that's fine, but Passover is supposed to be in the home, I know, right? And so I know. obviously we have this added burden of doing Passover by like, by Zoom and all of these problems. But like the idea of like, it's different than having Yom Kippur in your home in which right. most people are actually at the synagogue. And so we do have all of these opportunities. And I love the idea of like the scavenger hunt in the home, like uncover, right. you know, the Jewish, I mean, for my constituency, which is mostly people that are not living in their childhood homes and most of living, it's. It's a little bit different, but in general, if you're living in a home in which someone has lived and there's Jewish stuff everywhere, you know, look at, you know, if you're a Hebrew school teacher, look at your parents' uh, wedding album, if they had anything Jewish in their wedding. Anyway, there are just so many ways to sort of, the home is such an integral part of what it means to live a Jewish life. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's exactly. sort of being lifted up in a certain way. That's right. That's right. That's right. So let's actually, I mean, one of the things that we were talking about as we were preparing for this conversation uh, was about loneliness and about, I, I've, I've, I've worried so much about the people uh, who live alone yeah. and how, what this must be like. I mean, I, what I feel, I feel like just to locate myself, like I live in a good size house in a suburban neighborhood, which I still can't believe I live in the suburbs. I, I, I still <laughs> think of myself as a very urban person that I've been really grateful for right now because we have a backyard um, and we have plants uh, uh, coming up and flowers blooming. Um, so my wife and I are not, we're not tripping. Over, we have our separate spaces to retreat to, but then we, we're, we're together and we're, we really feel like we're in this together. And I, I fret so much for friends and relatives and people I know in the world of, of all ages who are on their own and what this must be like to have to navigate through it without without touch, without uh, anything other than virtual contact. Yeah. I'm going to begin with your end because I do think the loss of touch is not a small thing. That's huge. I think, I think, I, I, and I think, you know, the researchers, you don't need like two rabbis to like, and look on any research they say. And that, that is something that I don't, 
I don't know what to do about that, right? Like I, I do know that there was some, you know, some people were saying you have a coronavirus family, like one person, mm-hmm. one other person that you can touch, you know, or like literally, and I just think that could be incredibly meaningful to people. But so that's something that like, that like I, I go to sleep at night thinking about yeah. sort of. Um, that being said, I, I you know, as I said before, like a, a, a lot of my congregants live on their own. And I, and I am lucky, I, I do, I want to begin with the, let me begin with the good news, right? Like mm-hmm. the good news is I actually, I know there's like machloket, there's like good holy disagreement about this, but I am grateful that this is happening during springtime. Mm-hmm. I am grateful that this is happening during a time of coming alive. That like and more, and more light and more right. light coming alive. Like, you know, and I'm in an urban environment. So a lot of my congregants have been taking the coronavirus walk. So I think that that's like part of the beauty of this, like coming aliveness. I, I also think that like, Loneliness, and again, this isn't something that you need two rabbis to tell you. It's it's a public health issue that loneliness is also its own kind of epidemic, and this was true before coronavirus hit. And so, there are ways that now that more people are experiencing loneliness than like people who were experiencing, that there could be learning that we bring into the future, right? right? There could be learning about like sort of how to watch out for other people, also how to connect with other people in a boundaried way. What I like about Zoom is I can make phone calls, and it's just like. I don't have to be worried about like feeling to, when I'm done, I can be done and I get off the call or when they're done with me, they can be done. They get off the call. There's like a boundariedness that makes me feel so much more generous in this, in the sharing of my time with other people. And so I do feel like there is a way that we can learn how to um, live in loneliness that can sort of keep us going even after this is over. Mm-hmm. So there's something that positive about this because it's like expanding the, the the number of people who are experiencing loneliness in this world. I think that's exactly right. I think that's exactly right. I mean, I, I as I said, I, I mean, I'm talking to people all day, mostly on Zoom. So I'm seeing them and I live with someone and I, I haven't been to the store in 10 days. Uh, I think I'm getting ready to go out tomorrow. We're planning the list very carefully. And, uh, <laughs> but when I was last, uh, I went to, um, I went to Whole Foods uh, in, in, nearby and um, I, we have a friend who works there and I rounded the corner and there he was and I almost burst into tears. Yeah. I was just yeah. so delighted at, I mean, and I've been like, I've been reaching out to old friends from all over the country and, and, and mostly FaceTiming or Zooming. Like, you know, it's, it, there's been the visual component, but the um, spontaneity of it yeah. and the unplanned nature of it. And, um, and, you know, we, and, and, and Sam and I, we work in a very social environment where we're chatting with people, like just running into someone, it was, um, you know, I just, I just, I really cherished it. Uh, what's part of what I liked about living in a city and what I miss in the suburbs is that in the city, you just don't, you can't, con- you, you control who you encounter so much less than you do when you live in an environment where you're, getting into your car and driving from point A to point B. Um, but, uh, but it just feels so precious at this moment in time. It's so, and I think that's like what you said is, is so important, important in a lot of ways. Like you and I are, 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 or I will speak for you. Like, you know, we're in the process of trying to make lemonade out of lemons, right? Yeah, like right. it is true that being an actual community is better than being on Zoom, right? So all of the things that you hear both of us saying, you know, like, yeah, look at what we're learning about. Look, yeah. like, 
this is awful, right? And 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 I can't wait for it to be over. Right. And just seeing one person, just of course you're gonna almost burst into tears because in that one moment you realize what you're what you're missing. Right. You know, right. You just, you're seeing in a second the enormity of it all. Yeah. No, and, and including the interruption because like ordinarily yeah. that kind of emotion, my yeah. next thing would be to hug him. And because, you know, and, and they're like, oh no, I like, you need to be like, you stand on the other side of the aisle so that we can then have this conversation. So a hundred percent, you know, it's funny. I've been, when I've been talking to like different journalists or, you know, whatever over the last few weeks. And again, they're always trying to do like the Judeo Christian. I'm putting that in scare quotes because I hate that phrase. They're trying to do the Judeo Christian. And so they're like, talk to us about making theological meaning out of this moment. And I'm like, yep. I'm sure there are Jews right now who are working on making a theological meeting. Like we are working on organizing. Like this is like in this moment, Jews are like, you know, and like the Holocaust theology didn't come out during got, you know, Lahav deal. I don't mean, I don't like to compare things, you know, like I don't mean, to, you know, to compare these two things, but like th that can happen. The meeting making can happen later, but like right now we're just trying to get through and we're just trying to figure out how we can flourish right? Which is of course the connection to happiness, how we can flourish to the best of our abilities. Um, right. And there will be things that we learn. It doesn't mean we're going to be grateful for this time period. It just means that like there will be learning. Well, I think that that's, I do actually think that that's a very Jewish response and, you know, very reflective of where you and I both come from. Like if you adopt a stance of curiosity, then you're learning from something, you're learning something at all times, you know? Um, but I will say, you know, it is interesting I think you're right. Like we're organizing right now. And like the, like we're two weeks into a little bit more than two weeks into the, um, into the self-isolation and, um, and, and our doors closed, uh, of, of our, of our physical institution about two and a half weeks ago. And so we went into programming right away and, uh, you know, we'll put links on the website of all the amazing content and all the amazing program that Reconstructing Judaism and that Ritual Well have put out just uh, so, such extraordinary content, so beautiful, so sustaining and every place else, like what Six and I is doing and institution after institution uh, the Jews like filled the content, uh, you know, filled the internet with content. And what we started to hear from folks is um, they actually want connection. They, they don't, they don't want their days. They think they, they're so interested in the courses and in the readings and in the webinars and on all this. But at the end of the day, what they want is an opportunity to come together and to talk. Yeah. Um, so, um, so we've actually kind of started to ease off a little bit in terms of content production and yeah. move more into convenings and opportunities for people. And sometimes it's substantive. It's like congregational presidents or executive directors. And sometimes like we, we had a board meeting yesterday and the formal program started at 1230 Eastern time, but we opened up the zoom room at about 12 so that people could come together and just schmooze. And at my, my, our, my, my minion, everything, uh, the services finish. And then, um, and then there's virtual kiddish and people go and get their, their kiddish cups and, and we say kiddish. And then the, the, the link stays open until the last person is ready to leave. Yeah, no, I, 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 you're really hitting the nail on that. People want, people want connection. Um, I, I also think, and um, I also think, and I think you maybe think this, they want spiritual meaning, right? They want, yeah. like one of the conversations I had this morning, I, I, I'm a rabbi with many rants, and maybe next time, you know, we go, we, we have a podcast, I'll give you a few more of my rants. 
But one of the rants I have is about cultural Judaism and like, what does that actually mean? Um, and so I was talking with someone this morning about sort of what cultural Judaism means. And I, and that, it, it, cultural Judaism is in this moment is whatever. Like, it's like, mm -hmm. all right, maybe I'll make a matzo ball for my Passover mm -hmm. scene. Like, well, whatever. Maybe I ordered bingo. But like what people actually want is like thickness. They want spiritual meaning in their connection. So like, our, we never do daily davening at six daily prayers at six and I. We're like a pretty secular. We have daily prayer services four or five days a week now. This morning I did it. We had like fifty to sixty sign-ins. You know, I never. I don't know because over the you know, like we had like eighty to ninety in one of the last week. It's just like people want. Um, they want some sort of connection to something greater than themselves. That's exactly and right. I, and I think that. These are natural human instincts that like that we've always had. And so how can we sort of how can we make how can we sort of put them into effect during this moment and how can we hold on to them after this right. moment is over? Right. And that is the question is how much of this is like a blip that we just have to get through and how much of this is like a reset. Yeah. And that we like we are learn we are as unwelcome as this is, we are learning essential things about ourselves. We are, we are and the ways that society is structured that work against our well-being and yeah. our sense of interdependence and interconnectedness. And will we, on the far side of this, have the capacity to reorder our lives and our, our organizations, our institutions in a way that's going to foster this uh, rather than just go back to what it once was? I think the economic adjustment is going to help us in that way as, as hard as and painful as it's going to be. I think it's going to, I don't think we're going back to, to what was, I think we're, we have the opportunity to God willing, we're going to have the opportunity to create something new. Yeah. All right. I'm going to hold on to your optimism. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to take hold of it. But that's one of the things we need to do in community right now, right. right? Is we need to like share each other's pessimism and optimism and anxiety and like take on each other's burdens and celebrations and, um, yeah, I, I hope, I hope that we don't just go back to business as usual, minus a few Jewish organizations that didn't yeah. make it through, you know? Um, right. I really, really hope. I, I I know that, like, my husband showed me last week uh, a video. I keep saying it came out of Scandinavia. I don't really know where it came out of, but I imagine it's <laughs> Scandinavian. And it's just, the, the title of the video is, Thank You, Coronavirus. And the entire video is like, Thank you for reminding us that we're bringing people to that we need to bring people together, and we're all interconnected, and the earth needs us. And all of it is true. I agree with every single word in the video. And I wanted to take my computer and throw it out the window. <laughs> I am right. not ready to say thank you, coronavirus. You know, right. so it's like I need. I think I could have used it if it was. I, I really was a hundred percent convinced it was a Saturday Night Live skit that he was showing. Yeah, it was like satirical in a certain yeah, way. Right? Here, Thank you so much for reminding. And it's true. It is going to be a reset that right. none of us wanted, and good right. things are going to come out of it. And I'm so pissed. Yeah, I'm so pissed. And and that's like what's like you know we're holding so much all at the same time. I love you know I know that most people know the Ecclesiastes. Um, the, the poem in Ecclesiastes that was made famous by the birds to everything there is a season. But I'm such a fan of Yehuda Amichai's poem. And God willing, you'll link to all of these because I'm going to mass, I'm going to like massacre all of them. But like Yehuda Amichai's poem is like, you know, Ecclesiastes says there's a time for everything, but that's not true. There's not a time, you know, you need to like laugh and, and hate at the same time to make love and make war at the same time. And I feel like to me, that's so much true. And like, 
you know, we're slowing down with coronavirus, but we're also like, we're having, you know, we're sitting inside and my son is graduating from high school at the same time, right? You know, like all of these things. And sometimes I can hold that and it's beautiful and it's a mess and our life is a mess. And sometimes I'm angry and I'm joyous at the same time. Right, right. Well, I mean, I think that's exactly right. Like talk about just, I think holding is exactly the right image, you know, like, and and in the complexity of the moment, I feel like that I'm not a Pollyanna-ish, but I just, um, I mean, I, I, what I am, I think is very pragmatic. And, and what I, I would somehow, somehow individually, and as, as a leader, I've really been able to just be like, this is what I have control over at this moment. This is what I understand at this moment. There's so much I don't know. And then like, okay, I have a little bit more information and something else comes into focus and I'm able to like see it. And like somehow I'm just able to, I'm I'm taking it in, in a way that I am, I'm not most of the time nights are not so good. You know, I've never been a good sleeper, but most of the time I'm not overwhelmed by it. And I just, um, I do feel like partly because I need this and rabbinically what I've been putting out is like, you know, when, when I think about the resilience that is embedded within Judaism, it's about that we have to be oriented toward joy, even at the hardest times. And like, so like that, that core teaching, I do really feel like, um, 20 plus years in the rabbinate of that being my primary Torah of putting out again and again and again, that I really have been able to take it in, in such a way that, um, it's kind of keeping me from catastrophizing, I think in a way that's been really, um, really helpful personally. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, um, that's really, (laughs) The, the, the orientation of like orienting toward joy whenever you can. And of course I would say that, that I'm, this, I, I'm sure you agree, but like joy is understood in the Jewish tradition, right? So it's encapsulating meaning making yeah. and, right, and, and service to others. Mm-hmm. And, and community, right, right. Community. Right. Joy is not something you can do on your own in Jewish Judaism. Right. So like that's a, I think, it, I think that's true. It's like to recognize what is in your control and what is outside of your control. I've, I've never been great at that, but you know, it is a really important learning in this moment. And God, like who would have thought a few years ago when you started with this podcast, how important resilience would become, you know? Um, well, I mean, it's, I started it right after the election. <laughs> so it's because I, I, I needed it. Cause I was, I mean, in that I was just so staggered. I was so staggered and so sad. I mean, we don't talk about politics all that much in this in this podcast, but like I felt like I was standing in the midst of some ruins. Yeah. And you know, things had been creaking and cracks were appearing, but the structures, the institutions and the conventions of my childhood were had had been holding up and then in early November of 2016, they all came crashing down. It felt like that's what it felt like to me. And that we were going to have to build a new future. And that I felt like I had, I had a bully pulpit. I had this opportunity for leadership. I had training as a rabbi. I had my training as an historian. And it was really interesting, this shift for me. And that's actually some of the roots of this podcast. Like I, as the leader of the Reconstructionist Movement, which has really been like a cutting edge on the forefront movement, up until that point, I had been like, I felt like I'd been like dragging the Jewish community into the future. Um, and it, it, beginning in like November of 2016, I started dipping into traditional texts and traditional practices 
um, much more deeply, realizing like our ancestors, they've survived plague. They've survived uh, upheaval. They've survived destruction. Um, and then they, they knew how to get through it and they knew how to mourn. Yeah. And they also knew how to be creative in response to that. And they didn't do it immediately. It was, you know, it was, it was decades after the destruction of the temple that they, that Lamentations was written, you know, like, like, and then decades after the destruction of the second temple that Echa Rabba, the, 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 the Midrash on it, it's not immediately, but just like both that, that, that the, the, the large historical um, broad brushstrokes were incredibly helpful to me. And then the exploration into the individual practices and into the aggregated wisdom has been so nourishing and sustaining to me. And I said this as a rabbi, you know, someone who had access to those resources. And that has everything to do with the roots of this podcast, because it just felt like one way or another, uh, through politics, through environmental degradation, or through pandemic, like that we just need to be, um, we need to, to nourish ourselves. We need to find ways. And, 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 and we don't have to, we don't have to start from scratch. Yeah. We don't have to do it all by ourselves. I think it's so interesting that you're um, connecting, nourishing ourselves to the idea of resilience. Like, I'm such a like I find myself um, responding to that, you know, my, like, and I'll work it out with my therapist, you know, but it's like <laughs> sort of my first instinct with resilience is like man, the barricades or human, the barricades, whatever we're supposed to say at this point. But like, I love that you're including sort of like self-nourishment as part of like going out to do the work because it's exhausting. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. And we can only like, well, maybe we'll wind down with this. I'll share an image. And if there's anything that wakes up for you, this, that this beautiful image from Psalm 23, that so many people know of the overflowing cup. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Kosi Rivaya, my cup is overflowing. And our, our, our colleague, Rabbi Marjorie Berman offered up this uh, image to me once that ideally the service that we're doing, the activism that we're doing the, the the you know the, the, everything that we're putting out as rabbis it comes from the overflow and that if we dip too deeply into the cup itself mm. it'll dry out and we won't we won't have that overflow to offer it has to come from the shefa it has to come from the abundance and therefore to work very hard on the container to you know so so that it can remain full and so that there is that overflow and that's been that's been really like um, there's a beautiful chant by Shefa Gold. I mention her so often on this podcast, just to those words, uh, Kosi Rivaya, that I, I frequently chant to myself um, because like sometimes I'm the cup itself, uh, you know, and sometimes I'm the contents of the cup and sometimes it's the overflow. But just like making certain that the vessel is intact just feels so essential to me in order to be able to show up for other people. And that's true just on an ordinary day or that's true in these extraordinary times. Yeah, I think that's I that feels incredibly, incredibly meaningful to me. Um, I feel like I need to like sit with that a little bit more, and remind myself to um, to make sure that my cup and the cup of people that I work with um, is as filled as possible, especially during this time when the instinct is to keep on uh, producing, producing, producing. Um, you know, this was Fred Dobb wrote about this weeks ago already, you know, the idea of Shemitah and sort of letting things lie fallow a little bit as well to see what will grow. Um, That's exactly right. So I think, um, yeah, there's a, gosh, 
Um, I already, I can't wait to hear this again so we can, because I wish we had so many more hours to speak. I, I cannot wait to hug you in person. I know. I know. <laughs> One day, hey, Robbie, I mean, soon may it be that we get to actually give each other big hugs. Um, yeah, thank you so much for all that you're doing and all that Reconstruction Judaism is doing um, to sort of help bring us into this next, into this great unknown, into this next stage. Yeah, thank you. You too. You you are such a shining leader, and 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 I learned so much from you both personally and and in the work that you're doing organizationally. So it's a right. it's a blessing to be with you in this medium, and I can't wait till we're together. Yeah. Um, and we well, we talked about a lot of different really rich resources, and we'll load them up onto Hashivenu's website, and you can also find more resources on reconstructingjudaism.org. And on ritualwell.org, there's really wonderful resources around the pandemic on both of those sites. Um, and I ask that um, listeners, if you are willing to also subscribe or rate or review us in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I want to thank my guest, Rabbi Shira Stutman, for our rich and our wonderful conversation on community building in general in times of pandemic, on loneliness, on resilience and renewal. Thank you so much, Shira. Thank you. Thank you so much, Deborah, And thank you, Sam, as well. See you soon. Good. I'm Rabbi Deborah Waxman, and you've been listening to Hashivenu, Jewish Teachings on Resilience. Hashivenu, Adonai.